Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. Taking our Bibles this morning and turning, please, to the Gospel of John, chapter 9. John, chapter 9. The Gospel of John has been called the Gospel of the Seven Sayings. Seven times Jesus refers to himself as the I Am, saying, I am the Good Shepherd, saying, I am the Door saying, I am the light, saying, I am the way. The Gospel of John is also called the Gospel of the Seven Signs. Seven miracles are woven together in the Gospel of John. And with these seven signs and these seven sayings, John writes to all of us with a grand purpose that he declares in John chapter 20 and verse 31. John says that he writes these things that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that you might have life through His name. We're opening our Bibles this morning to John chapter 9, where we find miracle number six of the seven miracles that are woven together in this book. Here we find Jesus giving sight to a man who was born blind. This miracle, as with many of the miracles, provides proof positive that Jesus is indeed the Messiah, the Son of God, the one that has been promised of old, the one that the Scripture writers prophesied. In fact, in Psalm 146, the eighth verse says, the Lord openeth the eyes of the blind. And Isaiah 35 says in verse 4, behold, your God will come, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. And that's exactly what we find as we open our Bibles to John chapter 9. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day, The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed, and came seeing. The neighbors, therefore, and they which before had seen him that was blind, said, Is not this he that sat and begged? And some said, this is he. Others said, he's like him. But he said, I am he. Therefore said they unto him, how were thine eyes opened? He answered and said, a man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said unto me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed and I received sight. Then said they unto him, where is he? And he said, I know not. Let's ask the Lord to bless as we look into his word. Father, I pray You'd use your word now to the instruction of our hearts. If anybody be in this service today who's not yet had their eyes opened to come to Christ as Savior, Lord, draw that one this morning. And for your people, Lord, may we be instructed in your word so to know how to stand in an evil day. Give us wisdom from the word this morning, comfort some heart, and encourage your people. And we'll thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. I am told that there are one million people in America today who are categorized as blind. There are some 
three million more Americans who have vision impairments that are very difficult for them to deal with. In fact, studies say that one person in America becomes blind or visually impaired every seven minutes. When Linda and I were newlyweds, she went for a routine checkup on her eyes. She noticed some differences in her vision. This routine checkup came out to be anything but routine. And she went into the eye doctor, he looked into her eyes and he said, oh my, you have histoplasmosis and it's threatening your eyesight. It's a fungal disease and it's landed and lodged in your eyes and if we don't intervene immediately, uh, you're going to lose your sight. I'll never forget the day that she came and told me that news, how that routine eye checkup had become something that was far less than routine, or far more than routine, rather. We began to cry out to the Lord, why? Lord, what? What are you doing? Lord, how are we going to get through this? And we do thank the Lord for the intervention that spared my wife her sight. But our trial was insignificant compared to the trial of the one with whom we're introduced here in John chapter 9. In John chapter 9, we're introduced to a man who, according to verse 1, was born blind. He was a blind baby. He was a blind toddler. He was a blind young adult. And in verse 8, he was reduced to penury. We find that he was a beggar. We don't know anything about his parents other than they're introduced later in this chapter. What a difficult thing it must have been for them when they realized that they could not support themselves as well as their son and they let him go out near the temple and become a, be a beggar. No doubt his parents from the time of his birth had asked God why, and no doubt from the time of his childhood he'd been asking the question, how will I get through this? Jesus offers a startling answer to the question of why this man is blind. His answer is found in verse 3. He says that the works of God should be made manifest in Him. The Spirit of God is recording the story of this blind man to teach us some very valuable lessons. There are lessons here for us to learn about suffering. There are lessons here for us to learn about God's omnipotence. There are lessons here for us to learn about what it means to be in contact with the Savior who loves us. We learn in this passage that with God all things are possible. But I want to zero in this morning on one particular message in order to encourage every person who's come into this room. I want us to see together that we serve a merciful Savior. We serve a merciful Savior. And a careful examination of this passage proves the mercy of the Savior in at least three ways. First, I want you to discover with me that our Lord's observation of our human affliction proves to us His mercy. The blind man couldn't see Jesus, but thank the Lord, Jesus could see him. In verse 1, Jesus passed by and He saw a man which was blind from birth. Jesus knows all and Jesus sees all. John wants that to be very clear to those who read this book, this letter that He's given to the world to bring all to Christ. So in John chapter 1 and verse 49, Jesus meets Nathanael, 
And Jesus says to Nathanael, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no guile. And Nathanael says, how do you know me? And Jesus says, before Philip called unto you, I saw you under the fig tree. Jesus is there declaring to Nathanael that he knows all men that he knew Nathanael. If you say, well, that's not enough proof that Jesus knows all. Well, in John chapter 2, John sets forth this statement at the end of the chapter. John says, Jesus knew what was in man. He did not need anyone to explain any man to him. Jesus knows all and Jesus sees all. The poet has said, he knows all, the winding path, the sky or east and gray, the steepness of the mountainside, the roughness of my way. He knows all, each troubled thought, each anxious wave of care, and every burden, every grief or cross that I must bear. He knows it all. By his to choose and mine to take his choice, he knows it all. He planned it so. So I trust in him and I rejoice. Hebrews declares in chapter 4 and verse 13 that all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And as we look carefully at this text, there are two observations that we ought to make immediately. We ought to note that the Lord saw this man during a time of persecution. Back up with me to the 59th verse of the 8th chapter of the Gospel of John and read what John has recorded for us. John 8 and verse 59, then took they up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them and so passed by. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. As he leaves chapter 8, he leaves his enemies. As he enters into chapter 9, Jesus is making new friends. John chapter 7, 8, 9, and 10 form a section of this gospel. It's a section having to do with what happened when Jesus was in the temple during the Feast of the Tabernacles. And during that Feast of the Tabernacles, in this gospel of the seven signs, in this gospel of the seven sayings, Jesus is going to declare that he's the light of the world. And then he's going to show a sign. He's going to perform a miracle. He's going to make a man who had never before seen. He's going to make that man to see. In John chapter 8, Jesus is rejected by the multitude. In John chapter 9, Jesus is accepted by the one. In John chapter 8, the people are stooping down to pick up stones to throw them at Jesus. In John chapter 9, Jesus is stooping down to make mud to anoint the eyes of the blinded man. In John chapter 8, you see, Jesus is in the temple teaching the multitude. And in John chapter 9, Jesus is outside of the temple ministering to the individuals. And as he goes on the way and sees this blind man, he confirms something for us. He confirms that he's a merciful Savior. Even while being persecuted, even while people are taking up stones to cause his death, he has a compassion for others. Friend, he has a compassion for you. Malachi chapter 3 says in verse 16, I am the Lord and I change not. He sees you. He has a compassion for you. The same one who saw the man who was born blind, who saw him in a time when others would never have seen anything other than an escape route, Jesus saw this man. And Jesus sees you Psalm 139 says in verse 2, he knows when you stand up, he knows when you sit down. Hey, we're living in a time of a lot of confusion 
and a lot of despair seems. Isn't it good to know that as we pray for the people in Ukraine, even those who are huddled in a steel mill, that Jesus sees them there and knows them there? Isn't it good to know that in a time when people are going to the store shelves to find something as precious as formula for infants that Jesus knows and that Jesus cares? He's aware. He's aware of how much you paid for gas, maybe even on the way to church this morning. He knows about our cares and our anxieties. I found a verse this week that was a blessing to my heart. The 33rd Psalm, the 18th verse says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear Him, upon them that hope in His mercy. We struggle with a fundamental issue, don't we? Will we really trust God? Will we really have faith to believe that He sees us? Well, as we look in this passage, we discover that the Lord saw this man during a time of persecution, and the Lord saw this man as a person in need, and he was on a mission of mercy. He had left the indescribable splendor of heaven to enter into the inescapable sufferings of the earth. He went about doing good, and he paused to meet the individual needs of people who were hurting the blind and the lame and the leprous, the widow who was going to bury her son. The psalmist says in Psalm 111 and verse 4, and then again in Psalm 112 and verse 4, he is gracious. He is full of compassion. Even on the cross, with grace and compassion, he spoke to his mother and met her needs. He spoke to the thief and promised him paradise. As we come to verse 2, we discover the disciples are asking him, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? The disciples here are focusing on a philosophical question. What's the cause of this man's blindness? They knew but two answers. Maybe he sinned, but that would be a challenging way to look at life. Did he sin in the womb? He was born blind. Maybe his parents sinned. Jesus offers a third solution to the question that the disciples are posing. The disciples looked at a philosophical problem, but Jesus is looking at the practical problem. He sees the man who's suffering. And in this conversation, it's so filled with instruction Instruction that helps us to understand the mercy of God. I want us to see together our Lord's instruction about human affliction, how that it proves His mercy. The question is offered in verse 2, who did sin this man or his parents that he was born blind? Jesus takes advantage of the question that's offered, and in verse 3, He offers some instruction that is riveting when he says, neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. And we pause there to realize that Jesus interacts with his disciples on the age-old question, why suffering? Well, the Bible makes it clear that all suffering has a common cause. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 says, Wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Through Adam, 
suffering has entered into this world. In fact, the Word of God reminds us in Romans chapter 8 and verse 22 that even until now, the whole creation is groaning together and travailing together. The disciples were not focusing on the global impact of sin. They were more narrowly focusing on the question, so why is this person going through this calamity? The disciples knew only two answers. Maybe it's his own fault personally, and maybe it's the fault of his parents. But Jesus answers in with another answer altogether. He gives a God-centered option that I want us to zero in on this morning because it's ever so important in the day and age in which we're living. But first, I want you to see that it's true, suffering may come because of personal sin. When we sin, we invite suffering. Exodus 18 says in verse 4 that the soul that sinneth, it shall die. When we sin, we invite personal suffering. Deuteronomy 28 says in verse 15, if thou shalt not hearken to the voice of the Lord to do all of these commandments, then all of these curses shall come upon you. Take your Bibles and turn with me for a minute to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. When we sin, we invite personal suffering. The Bible's not ambiguous about this. Romans chapter 6 says in verse 23 that the wages of sin is death. There is a payment that God gives for sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and the 18th verse says, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. Every time we sin, we invite suffering. When we invite suffering through sins of fornication or sins of the flesh, the Bible says we sin against our very own bodies. We all know this to be true. Science proves it to be true. There are certain ways that diseases enter into our bodies through physical sin and through physical sin alone. And so when we sin personally, we invite suffering. Oh, how careful and how guarded then we ought to be. So a thought, it said, so a thought and reap an action. Sow an action and reap a habit. Sow a habit and reap a destiny. And the Bible tells us in the book of Numbers, be sure your sin will find you out. No one is exempt. This is the universal law. God's law is suffering comes because of personal sin. Now, most will agree with that. Most have seen that. Most have witnessed that. The suffering comes because of personal sin. But the disciples said, who sinned? This man, highly unlikely, he was born blind. Or his parents. The suffering may come because of parental sin. In fact, the Bible teaches that. Suffering may come because of parental sin. Take a moment and turn back with me to the book of Exodus, chapter 20. The book of Exodus, chapter 20, of course, reveals to us the Ten Commandments. In Exodus, chapter 20, we're told in verse 4, not to make any graven image or any likeness of anything that's in heaven above or that's in the earth beneath or that's in the water below the earth. In Exodus, chapter 20, and verse 5, we're told not to bow down unto any idols nor serve them. Why? 
For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation. We've seen it even in our generation. Recently, doctors have come to describe something that's called fetal alcohol syndrome. That the sins of mothers in taking in over much alcohol during the time of the development of that little one can cause atrocities in the life of the little one. Yes, there is such a thing as suffering because of parental sin. People still talk about crack babies whose mothers during the time of the gestation of that child were addicted to cocaine and they have brought into that little one suffering from the very outset of their life. But it's not just physical suffering that parents can bring into the lives of their children. Parental sin can cause suffering in little ones, not just through biology, not through just physically passing along characteristics, but emotionally and spiritually. And parents, we need to be reminded of that, that our view of God and our relationship with God is being learned by our children and our relationship with others being passed along as well. The poet said, his little arms wrapped around my neck and then I heard him say, five little words that startled me, five words that made me pray. They shed a mirror on my soul on things I can't forget. They startled me. I hear them yet. He said, I'll be like you. Yes, we impact our children. Now the disciples looked at the man born blind and they said, was it because of his personal sin or was it because his parents sinned? My wife and I have friends that we've known for over 40 years. When their first child was born, a little beautiful girl, she developed ever so naturally. Then they had a little boy, and while they were expecting child number three, the little boy's progress and development began to regress. And so genetic tests were done. And the genetic test demonstrated that he had a particular challenging disease or some type of malady that would cause him not only to regress, but eventually to be immobile and to cause his life to end early. The doctors immediately said, would you like to have the baby that you're carrying tested as well? They said, no, regardless of how the tests come back, we're going to carry this child to full term. He's our baby. And so the third child was born, a little boy, and he too had the very same malady. When we saw them many years later, they had two teenage sons, both in wheelchairs, both knowing that their lives would have less than 10 years before uh, they would be called home to heaven. They rejoiced in the time that they had, but oh, the hardship. And imagine how compounded that hardship would be if the only solution they had was either our children sinned or we sinned. But that's not where Jesus leaves us. Jesus says in verse 3, neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be manifest in him. Jesus says, suffering comes often because of the providence of God. Jesus says, this blindness is a result of God's providence, so that God's glory might be made manifest. And the little phrase, made manifest, it means to shine forth 
so that God's glory can shine forth through this one. So let's look carefully at this story and see if God's glory can shine forth. This passage requires some careful consideration, and Maya is in an essential passage for us in the times in which we're living. Just two weeks ago, documents were released from the Supreme Court of the United States of America that caused people to become all aflutter, that Roe versus Wade is about to be overturned, that the court's majority have seen that Roe versus Wade was unconstitutional from its foundation. And those who are in favor of keeping Roe versus Wade have become very agitated, not just agitated, angry. But the reality is today in America, it seems that no one would ever be born blind. After all, there's going to be testing in utero. We've become a nation that has come to practice eugenics, which means that we're diminishing those who would be born with any potential malady or so-called handicap. It's almost impossible for someone in America today to be born blind. After all, the cultural consideration would be, why would anyone want a child to be born blind? I mean, wouldn't you terminate that pregnancy? Now, let's be honest for a moment this morning. We can define no spiritual difference between a little one that's forming in the womb that's 10 weeks old and a little one that's been born who is 10 weeks old. There's no moral or spiritual difference that's defined in God's Word. And yet, 2,500 abortions occur every day in America. And this is what's more shocking. Over 30% of those who call themselves Christian evangelicals are okay with abortion in America today. So listen carefully. As we look in this passage, we find a very important passage to see the glory of God shining out of human adversity. This man's blindness, according to Jesus, brought God glory. And there are some who immediately say, well, of course. I mean, he brought God glory because Jesus healed him. But not everybody has the opportunity to have the healing of Jesus, and therefore not everyone brings glory through their infirmity. No, you've misread the passage if that's what you're thinking it says. That is not what it says. Jesus says in verse 3, neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be shining out of him. And when he says that the works of God should be, he's not speaking about the future. In fact, the words that he uses here speak about the time of his being formed and the time that came before Jesus came upon this situation. He's saying this man's life, if you will, was to bring glory to God. And so all life is meant to bring glory to God. Whether that life be filled with infirmities or filled with strength, all life is given to be bringing glory to God. In fact, often those who have the greatest infirmity bring God the greatest glory. So it is in this man's life, and so it is in others. Take your Bibles and come back with me to, book of, to the book of Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4. You remember in Exodus chapter 4 that God is speaking to Moses. He wants to commission Moses for ministry, and Moses has a challenge on his hands. Moses confesses in Exodus chapter 4 and verse 10, I am slow of speech. I have a slow tongue. I can't talk very well. So let's see how God answers Moses in Exodus chapter 4 and verse 11. And the Lord said unto him, to Moses, 
Who hath made man's mouth? Who makes the dumb or the deaf or the seeing or the blind? Have not I the Lord? You know, you might want to circle that verse. God is here declaring that He sovereignly is behind every situation into which a baby is born. And for Moses, he's saying, Moses, <laughs> you're talking to the one who created you. I've created you and equipped you exactly for what I want you to accomplish. Take your Bibles and go over with me to Exodus chapter 21. Exodus chapter 21. In a generation where it seems no one would be born blind or with spina bifida, no one would be born blind with down or with downs or any number of maladies, so-called. In Exodus chapter 21, God sets forward a law through Moses. He says in verse 22, Now if men strive and hurt a woman with child, so that her fruit depart from her, okay, she's with child and her, these two men are striving, and because of that, the woman has a child prematurely, her fruit departs from her, and yet no mischief follow, in other words, the baby's healthy, he shall surely be punished. According as the woman's husband will lay upon him, he'll sh he shall pay the judges such as determined. Now watch it. If any mischief follow, then thou shalt give life for life. If that infant has lost his life because two men were striving, and inadvertently it seems, a woman who's with child has been struck, life for life. You might want to circle that passage because God just said the life in the womb is equal to the life outside the womb. In fact, take your Bibles and go with me to Psalm 139, Psalm 139, another passage that needs to be circled, Psalm 139. In Psalm 139, in verse 13, David says this, O God, Psalm 139, verse 13, Thou hast possessed my reins, you have covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise Thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are Thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from Thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. In Thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned. He speaks about his development in the womb and gives glory to God knowing that God knew every part and put together, stitched together every part of David's body just as surely as he stitched together every part of this blind man's body. In fact, in Jeremiah chapter 1, Jeremiah says, God, you knew me while I was in the womb, and while I was in the womb, you had this purpose for me. You ordained me a prophet. Listen, folks, those passages need to be circled. We don't always know the purpose of God this side of heaven, but we know this, we can trust Him. We don't know the purpose of God in giving some afflictions and others strength, but we know this, we can trust Him. We don't know why God gives to one something and to another another thing, but we know this, we can trust Him and He always has this purpose that His glory could shine through that His glory could shine through. 1 Peter chapter 4 says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice, inasmuch as you're partakers of Christ's sufferings. And dear one, when physical infirmities weigh you down, 
And you find when you go to the doctor that you're predisposed to this or predisposed to that. It's during that time that we rejoice because we're becoming partakers of Christ's suffering. And when His glory is revealed, we can be glad and have exceeding joy, 1 Peter 4 says. You see, there's coming a day, according to Revelation 21, that God's going to wipe away all the tears from our eyes. There'll be no more sorrow, no more crying, neither shall there be any more pain. The former things are going to be wiped away. But today, our affliction which is but for a moment, is working for us. A far greater weight of glory, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17. God knows how to take care of the weak things of this earth. And He uses the weak things of this earth, what? To confound the mighty. The Apostle Paul himself would say, God's strength is made perfect in weakness. When my grandfather on my father's side was in his 60s, he suffered a disabilitating stroke such a severe stroke that he would no longer be mobile. He was, when I visited with him as a child, he was on a cot in the living room. He'd get into his wheelchair. He was housebound pretty much, but he was mentally alert. During those 10, almost 15 years of his life, without the mobility that he'd once enjoyed and without the activities that he'd once been about, he found himself Next to the radio, he'd turn on the radio, he'd listen to the old-time gospel hour, he'd listen to J. Vernon McGee, he'd listen to M. R. D. Hahn. He had a third-grade education and a master's degree on radio. He grew so much in the Lord that he'd take out his typewriter and he'd write letters to his two sons who were in the ministry, one in Ohio and one in Kentucky. He'd speak to them of deep things that God had taught him. His growth in the Lord was so remarkable that the pastor of the church that he attended when he was well enough to get out would often send people over to his house because he knew that when people came with challenges and questions and were hurting, they could go to my grandfather's house and he'd have answers from experience and from Scripture. God sometimes gives us infirmities so that we can be strong in Him. God gave Jacob a limp before He called him Israel. God gave Moses a stammer before he spoke to Pharaoh. God gave Timothy a bad stomach before he strengthened him to strengthen the church at Ephesus. And God gave Paul a thorn in the flesh so that he might minister unto the Gentiles. Jesus says in verse 4, I must work the works. And literally in this passage of John chapter 9, you may want to turn back there. In John chapter 9, Jesus says that the works of God should be manifest in Him, and then he comes, we come to verse 4. Literally it reads, we must work the works of Him that sent me. He includes His disciples in verse 4, though the King James Version uses an I there. It's pretty certain that the personal pronoun in verse 4 that begins this verse is we. And so we're commissioned with the Lord to enter into this conversation about disability this question about human suffering. Jesus says to His disciples, we must work the works of Him that sent us or sent me while it's day. The night comes when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. He'd just been put out when He claimed to be the light in the temple. But now to the blind man, to the one, oh, He's going to be received. He's going to be taken in, for He is indeed the light of the world. And in this passage, our Lord's observation of human affliction and our Lord's instruction about human affliction show His mercy. 
But I want us to note finally that our Lord's intervention in times of human affliction will certainly prove His, ministry, His, prove His mercy to us. The light of the world brings light to this one. Listen, not just physical light, but spiritual light. Jesus stoops down, it says in verse 6, having spat upon the ground, He made clay of the spittle. He's teaching us that Jesus alone can make us a new creature. Six times the gospel writers talk to us about Jesus healing people that are blind. Only once born blind, and only once does Jesus spit on the ground and make clay. And there are some here who are saying, good, that's kind of gross. But it was a common practice for those in the times of the Lord to visit doctors and physicians who would make poultices out of human spittle. There are those who say Jesus is just following a common practice. I don't think so. I think what Jesus is doing here is showing us something far more important. Jesus is the one who created man out of the dust of the ground. And Jesus here is going to give sight to this man who has this infirmity. The one who formed man out of the dust of the ground is able to make this man new. And he's able to make you new as well. Ephesians chapter 2 says we're all born dead in trespasses and sin. No access, no communication, no fellowship with God, born dead in sin. And yet, the Bible says the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world, to be your Savior and to be my Savior. That He would die, the just one, for the unjust to bring us to God. And if any man will be in Christ Jesus, he's a new creature. Old things pass away and all things become new. And Jesus alone is the one who can give us a new purpose in life. He said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which by interpretation is sent. And he went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. And the neighbors, therefore, and they which were before had seen him that was blind, said, is not this the one who sat and begged? And some said, this is he. And others said, he's like him. But he said, I am he. Therefore said they unto him, how were thine eyes opened? He said, a man that's called Jesus made clay anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. I went, I washed, I received sight. And they said to him, where is he? He said, I know not. Here's the most eloquent testimony of all. It's the testimony of a changed life. Without communicating a word, everyone saw a difference in this man who had been born blind. Once he was a beggar, but no more. Now he'd been made whole. And all around this room this morning, there are those who were spiritually born blind. In fact, everyone who's come to Christ as Savior, all of us were born spiritually blind. And yet by His grace, the light of His Spirit, having shined upon our hearts, the Word of God tells us, He's made us alive so that we can see, and so that we can worship, and so that we can rejoice, and so that we can glorify His name. And often in the neighborhood, in the workplace, and even in the family, without a single word being spoken, people see the changed life, and they say, what happened? What a blessing to be able to say, once I was blind, but now I see. Charles Spurgeon spoke of an elderly gentleman who in his congregation gave the testimony that he was born blind. One day, this elderly gentleman was talking to someone else in the church, and he said, I have more to give thanks for than you. <laughs> the seeing man said to the sightless man, what do you mean? I've been able to see all my life. And the sightless man said, oh, 
but the terrible things you've seen, the hardships of others, the anger of their countenance, the sorrows and the sufferings that I've not seen, said the sightless man, the very first thing that I'm going to see when my eyes are opened is Jesus. And dear one, by God's grace, the first thing we see when we enter eternity is Jesus. The only way we can see Him through eyes made open is to believe, to trust, to put your faith in Him. Have you trusted in Him? Are you depending upon Him for your salvation? May God help us to be light bearers in a dark generation. And may God help us to give thanks that we realize that some go through afflictions that the works of God would shine through them. This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. If what you've heard has been an encouragement to you, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org. You can also check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast.